We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everyone. I am Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. Perpetual Chess is a weekly interview show where top chess players, authors, content creators, and accomplished amateurs discuss their careers and share stories and chess improvement tips. Perpetual Chess is a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network, and we'd like to give special thanks to our presenting chess education sponsor, Chessable.com. For more information about the show, you can go to perpetualchesspod.com. But without further ado, let's get to the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a bonus edition covering the candidates here after round six of Perpetual Chess. It has been an exciting tournament so far. Before we introduce our guest, I just wanted to go over the very basic facts, as a lot of you may have already heard after six rounds. Jan Napomnici is in the lead with four and a half out of six off to a blazing start. Uh, Behind him, not by much, is GM Fabiano Caruana with four out of six, and then Fighting an uphill battle are the rest of the participants. Nakamura has three out of six. Rapport has three out of six. Rajabov has two and a half. Ding Liren has two and a half. Jan Christoph Duda has two and a half. And just as everyone predicted in last place, Ali Reza Feruja with two points. So a lot of drama, fascinating chess already. A couple other things to go over before, again, before we introduce our guest. Uh, the, the winning scores in recent candidates, uh, 
courtesy of Tarje Svensson, just Twitter stalwart, were eight and a half, nine, eight and a half, eight and a half, and eight and a half in the last five 14 round candidates. So that means that Nepo only needs to draw if he drew his remaining eight games. Uh, already he'd be on eight and a half, which was good enough to win four out of five of the candidates. If you were to win another one, he'd be in an even stronger position. So really a commanding position, although obviously Caruana half a point back still has good chances as well. Speaking of the chances, I did get an update from friend of the podcast, um, Ty Bruce Zimmerman of the Chess by the Numbers blog, the updated probabilities uh, based on his model. And obviously take these with a grain of salt, but they do give you uh, some um you know, they, they give you the ability to estimate the statistical probability of certain performances based on the ratings. So Nepo would be 53.9% to win the candidates, Fabi 35.3, and then a steep drop for everyone else. Rapport 4%, Naka 2.9%, Ding 2.5, Duda half a percent, Faruja, um four tenths of one percent um and roger bob four tenths of one percent so eight rounds to go still lots could happen but we have two firm leaders uh so with all of that info out of the way let's introduce our guest someone i've been a fan of for a long time as anyone who heard my book recap of improve your chest now it's a book i often recommend and love he is a grandmaster three-time champion of Norway, a journalist, and in addition to Improve Your Chess Now, also co-author of Five Crowns, covering world championship history with none other than Yasser Sarawan. So let's welcome Grandmaster Jonathan Tisdall to the show. Welcome, Jonathan. Hello, thanks. It's good to finally be here. Yes, yes, long overdue. I, I think I even asked you to come on the podcast before, the, like as the podcast was launching, because I've long been a fan of yours. I don't even think, uh, you know, people barely knew what podcasts were back six years ago, but we're finally making it happen. Is that long? I, I, yeah, I, I do remember not being able to make it for the uh, the first time and then watching the podcast grow a lot. And then, uh, so it's good. It's good to finally be here. Yeah, and and I'm always a fan of your your writing, and especially when big events like this, the World Championship, and of course the candidates. This is when the chess history books are being written. So, Jonathan, I mean, what has surprised you? What has struck you? I mean, a lot has surprised me. But let's kick it over to you. What are your impressions of this tournament so far? Well, I, I've gone on record as saying I had absolutely no predictions to make before the event. Uh, I could see almost anything happening. And um, I was very pleased to see that Vichy said he'd wanted to wait at least two rounds before he made any kind of predictions. I felt that was exactly where I was. Um, and so after the uh, after two rounds, I, if I had to put my money down then, I would have made the boring bet. I would have backed uh, Fabiano. And I still feel that he's probably a very slight favorite um, he doesn't have so much ground to make up. And I'm sort of assuming that Jan will have to overcome one more wobbly moment somewhere along the line. But not necessarily true, of course. If uh, if we've already seen Jan's wobble uh, against Nakamura a couple of days ago, then um, then he's probably the favorite. Yeah, certainly shaping up to be a two-horse race. Again, the statistics don't lie. We we can hope for, you know, uh, a lot of drama with a huge cluster, but it's not statistically likely at this point. And yeah, uh, Nepo dodged a bullet against Nakamura yesterday. Definitely one of the major what-ifs. So we've had a disproportionate number of draws so far. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, the thing is, I could the field is very odd this year because it's very young, a lot of newcomers, and 
so there was a there were a lot of unknowns. Like you could see anything happening with Ali Reza, for example, and the fact that he disappeared for a few months before the event. Then you you know that's that sort of gives fire to the narrative that he's sitting back perfecting his classical chess. He didn't see him visibly online even for a while, although presumably he still was, I would imagine, to, you know, getting his, his hours in practicing there as well. But um, so, I mean, yeah, I could, I could have seen him coming back and, you know, having solved, solved the equation and roaring out to a lead. And I could have seen him succumbing to the lack of, um, high pressure stratos top stratosphere uh events that this is i mean this is event is a real killer i mean it's i wonder if you could even argue that it's it can be harder to win the candidates in the world championship of course it depends what the world champion is but i it strikes me that maybe that magnus's most traumatic event was actually winning the candidates rather yeah. than any of his any of his title uh matches yeah and, and- almost physically collapsed after it and it was just insanely dramatic. Yeah, and he very easily could have not won it and, mm, you know, mm. greatly altered the course yeah, of the chess history. I mean, he sort of tried not to win it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was absolutely unbelievable. Yeah. Um, but, there's, um, but there's so many cool stories to watch. I mean, Rapport is, it really impressed me with how incredibly original and risky, uh, dynamic his play almost always is. Um, particularly his last, the last two games with Black, I think, have been just tremendous to watch. Even though they've both been draws, and he nearly had an accident today, but just the the chaos he creates. And the, um, yeah. yeah, I had a little chat with Anish today on Twitter about, and you know, at one point talking about how great it was to watch Rapport creating this amazing. Um, dynamic confusion in every game so early and yeah. Saying, yeah he's playing the computer's best moves <laughs> this was very early in the opening he had been uh, okay. talking about a specific move but um it, 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 he is he's a joy to watch i uh, i have a feeling it's you know i think it's a wonderful thing to see in the, the computer age that somebody can do that regularly but i have a feeling the strain is is immense and yeah, well, you mentioned yeah, you mentioned Ali Reza. I mean, aside from the winners, I feel like that's the biggest emerging storyline is the pressure potentially getting to him. I mean, when when Nepo beat him in in round four, you saw this moment where you know as he shook his hand, he just looked totally crushed. And then you know you wonder a young guy like that is he going to be able to recover? Mm. Uh, you know, consolidated yesterday, but. Today against Fabiano, I mean to lose with I thought White. Today was very odd. Um, yeah, and I said something about. I was wondering if there has been a lot of discussion about his openings, because his openings have been very odd for a guy who's spent months, presumably doing nothing but preparing for this event. He's he had this sort of very odd accident against uh, Nepo, where he played an ultra sharp line and almost immediately went wrong. Yeah, and then got made it, and then today, I mean, I don't know what he was doing, but it was it was both odd and easily diffused by making the most obvious natural moves on the board. I thought, and yeah, a uh, hundred minutes on his first nineteen moves today after the as well. The one, uh, yeah. I mean, there was so much going on, I didn't re- even notice that. But he, um, there's something odd going on there. That's why I, today yeah. I was trying to find out who his who his seconds were because I thought his opening decisions have, have been puzzling 
Yeah, and the Nepo game, like as you mentioned, like he's the one springing the surprise, and he was somehow seen, appeared to be out of book two moves later. Like yeah, it, it, yeah, it's and not exactly, strange. not exactly the kind of position where you. you yeah, <laughs> yeah. Even even Feruja doesn't want to be out of book in a night or on move seventeen against Nepo with with uh, with the black pieces. That's uh, not a recipe for success. So yeah, yeah, nice that's to- been a big surprise. Yeah, and exposing his king is part of the new idea, I suppose. I mean. It, that's another odd. I mean, if you look at the games Nepo's won, let's just, just absolutely, he just mates people. Absolutely. Yeah. And you'd think that, I don't know. I mean, obviously, there's not much you can do if the guy's in good form and, and, and that's what he's best at. But it seems like a lot of people are um, leading with their face against him. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. It's a thousand yeah. number, actually. But okay. Yeah. I mean, um, this isn't a big surprise. I mean, one thing that strikes me is when people look back at this event afterwards, you'll get the great um, the great hindsight um, discussion where, I mean, you know, people may, you know, come out and say that round two was the pivotal, the pivotal one in the, in the event because Fabi was, I said, yeah, he was a bit better with black. I mean, messily better. I don't know how much, because I, I mean, I don't even. It seems to me that even the engines are changing their minds all the time nowadays. But it was quite clear that he was a bit better with black, and they'd both started fast. And obviously, you want to kind of derail or shake up Jan as soon as possible. Yeah, um, my guess was a, win bit. With, a win with black against Nepo in the second round would have been, you know, atomic. Yeah. 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 But I mean, my- Fabiano is an, you know, he's he's a very sensible, experienced guy, and I'm, you know, he wasn't winning, winning. He was just messy winning, and actually very Nepo kind of messy position. Yeah, and Fabi was shorter on time. Yeah, but... I mean, so, he, so he's he's got to make a decision, you know. He's not, and I think I don't think anybody in his with his experience um, would think, oh yeah, round two, let's let's go all in now. Yeah, well, Magnus obviously. criticized him. I don't know if you caught that. <laughs> Magnus, of course, joined the Chess 24 broadcast yesterday and was uh, was letting it fly. He was not mincing words in terms of his judgment of the players. He said uh, he didn't feel like anyone had played that impressively. Um, and he was uh, he was critical of uh, Caruana's decision. In um, round two. To, yeah, to, to not play on in that position, which is funny because, of course, Magnus is fame, famed in, I mean, different circumstances, but preceding the tie breaks against Caruana um, did not push his edge and came under mm. a lot of criticism in, in a, 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 you know, different situation, yeah. but. Yeah. But I mean, but that's the thing. I mean, it's, it's, it's very much a hindsight thing. I mean, what people, it seems to me like viewers, spectators, and I know I'm not talking just about chess. I mean, about most sports, it, people never really factor into the f- equation that people have to make gigantic decisions with no time you know yeah. and live with them and this is something this is something magnus is extremely good at, at understanding and doing and being able to live with it just like that decision and the match before of course when he sprung the novelty of not playing the last game in order yeah. to make gains that's right so, yeah so he had you know he, he figured 48 hours of rest better than risking the match over the board in one game and I mean, it was such a shocking decision when he did it. Nobody could understand what he was up to. 
Um, but yeah, if it backfired, he'd look like an idiot. But that's that's the thing. You don't yeah. know until afterwards, and sportsmen have to make these decisions. And the only yeah. thing they can do is make them and live with them. And yeah. you know, hindsight's just hindsight. It's right. Just and as you say, I think in terms of in terms of odds, you don't go crazy in round two. Yeah. Makes and sense. And as you yeah. say, Fabi's he's in decent shape. I mean, mm. obviously, mm. like he if Napo's just had an other otherworldly result, but if you if you he would have signed up for his current score. He would have signed up for four out of six before the tournament at this stage. Sure. I mean, yeah, often that's going to be in the lead, um, and he'll get another crack at Nepo. Um, and then yeah, of I'm course- sure he thinks the the return game he's going to be white. I mean, I just think that these guys are. Um, uh, I'm sorry, the word only a Norwegian word's coming to me right at the moment. <laughs> there, there's their their default setting is that's always um, a better opportunity. Than yeah. like a messy advantage with black, just playing with white is, is, yeah. is, is that's the time to push. Yeah, as you say, especially messy against Nepo. Mm. Well, Jonathan, we've got a bunch of good questions for you uh-huh. from Twitter, but first yeah. we're going to take a break and hear from our sponsors. Listeners, just a very quick reminder from our friends at Chessable. You should be watching GM Anish Giri's daily recap videos of the candidates. What a treat to get that from an elite player. For Chessable Pro members, there's also a course that goes along with it that you can get for free if you are a Chessable Pro member. So be sure to check that out as well as the litany of excellent products from Chessable.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And we are back. And I took to Twitter to see. I know you're a popular guy there, Jonathan. And I and a lot of others were a little disappointed that you didn't. They were not getting to read your writing uh, this time around. Um, hopefully, that will be rectified for the next World Championship. We always enjoy your coverage. And we had two similar questions. One was from F- at Fantasy Chess on Twitter asking, is the candidates already over? Are we more likely to see a world championship match between Nepo and Fabi than we are between either of these two and Magnus? And he's alluding, of course, to the fact that Magnus has said he's unlikely to uh, defend his title against the older generation. Well, guess what? If if it's like a 90% chance that one of his two previous challengers are the winner, then he's probably not going to defend his title. So if we hold him to his word, I know some people don't believe him, but if we do, then I understand where this question is coming from. Do you have any insights on this uh, premature speculation, Jonathan? Uh, Well, I think in terms of, uh, I think the, the, the gist of the, answer, I suppose, is, is Magnus, really, because it's very hard to imagine either Nepo or Fabiano not um, winning the event now. Um, yeah. I was going to yeah. say maybe second place is still a bit much up for grabs, but it's pretty clear. they It's, it's looking very much two-horse race, and with a, with a field with so many young and inexperienced um, candidates, it's I think it's unlikely to change very much. Mm-hmm. Um, for a long time, I never really got a chance to talk to, to Magnus about these kind of things. But um, 
there was there was a period there where I, I got to interview him quite regularly. And unfortunately, the last time I talked to him, it was just before uh, Dubai, and he'd made it fairly clear that he... No, he didn't make it fairly clear, but he hinted very strongly that it was going to be his last match. And um, he sort of said he'd, he'd tell me more about it after the event, and I haven't had a chance to interview him since. So unfortunately, I can't give you... <laughs> right. Any inside update on that? I think people who don't take him seriously probably don't remember the title timeline with Magnus. I mean, he when he was young and could have been the world the youngest world champion. Um, of course, he he actually dropped out of the cycle. Yeah, because he didn't like the way it's set up. He's never liked the way it's set up. He's never liked the pressure and and the unbelievable workload uh, and tension, I think, that comes with it. But the thing is, you know, he has, like, the perfect killer champion champion mentality. But once he decided to get it, and once he had it, those people, they don't really like to give these things away. And I think this is this is what's been keep, uh, keeping him coming back, because he, he really doesn't like it. And he is very much, I think it's always been quite clear that he's in his entire, throughout his career, he plays chess because he loves it. And when you start to bring in things that make it less fun, then he, he, he'll, you know, he'll make some sharp decisions. Like he'll fire Kasparov as his trainer because the guy is just too intense. And, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. you know, he's, (laughs) he very rarely says things he doesn't mean. I mean, I would go so far as to say he never says things he doesn't mean. But um, so he hasn't said 100%. He hasn't, uh, he won't play. But I think you have to take very seriously the chance that he won't play. And when I joke about trying to, um, to, to try and uh, bring uh, public opinion or start writing about things to make him, to make him reconsider, I, there are some interesting statistics. I mean, he's, Talking about if he would have been played five title matches and retire undefeated then, which sounds great. And it's been, it will have been about, it will have been 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. And then you consider Kasparov had to play five matches just to get rid of Karpov. <laughs> the first match alone was the equivalent of four modern title matches in terms of length. Yeah. Yeah. Sheer, I mean, in terms of legacy, if you want to leave a lasting mark as a as a world champion and retire undefeated, okay, Kasparov, of course, was never going to retire undefeated. But still, Kasparov has played an unbelievable number of title games. Absolutely incredible. I mean, I don't even think you could really compare the amount of you know, suffering. <laughs> <You've got> to, <laughs> those games lasted days as well <laughs> when you go back to the first matches. But the thing is, you know, so, I mean, I would like to, you know, bring up those historical points and discuss them and say, you know, Magnus, please think about, please think about, you know, s- further cementing your, your position in history. But I, I don't think he cares. Yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, if he doesn't want to, he won't do it. And it's very hard to see him not being the number one rated player in the world for a very long time to come. And I think that's what um, he feels is the most important and most convincing. So. Yeah, and I do feel like Fabiano versus Napomnici would be a fascinating match, but mm. it wouldn't it wouldn't feel like a world championship though. 
Yeah, exactly. I think it would be a great match, but yeah. um, I don't know. People forget pretty quickly. That's a danger for Magnus as well. <laughs> yeah. Although I'm sure he'll be hanging around trying to be 2,900 and that'll attract enough attention. Yeah. But uh, um, no, I hope he plays. Um, I have a feeling he'd much rather play Fabiano because if you, whenever you ask him about this and he's, he's still always says the same thing, he he's really most interested in playing Fabiano. He considers Fabiano and Ding the, the only really dangerous opponents. And he, Ali Reza, of course, is the most interesting one because he's, I suppose, the future. Yeah. So. And I saw so, you retweeted Anishgiri, Nepo playing Fabi for the world championship title and let's call it a day. <laughs> um, I saw somebody asking about which of the rematches would be more interesting or likely or I don't know, interesting maybe or maybe likely to 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 keep Magnus in the game. I kind of hope he'd be motivated to um, fully motivated to play uh, Fabiano again because I know he how much he uh, highly rates him, and it's not exactly like he's proved that much <laughs> yeah. in their first match. So I think that would be fascinating to see. Although I don't feel that Fabiano's recaptured the heights he had then. The, I mean, it's far too early for to say that that was the peak of his career, of course, but that was maybe the best form he's had over a prolonged period just before the Magnus match. Yeah. yeah. But that would be cool. I'd love to see that. Maybe that would maybe that might interest Magnus enough. The big question is a rematch against Nepo, of course. Yeah, and and we haven't talked about Nakamura at all. What have you mm -hmm. thought of uh, of Hakaru's play? I think it's great. He's great. He's absolutely fantastic. I mean, it's tremendous because I, I've always think, been fascinated by people who can really play without any pressure. And, of course, there's been this practically a meme about, you know, Hikaru doesn't care all <laughs> the way through the the qualification for the candidates and his comeback and him being getting a wild card spot when, when he was supposed to be retired on all this. But I mean, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a slightly but important difference about between him not caring and and not trying. I mean, I think whenever he plays, he's going to try to win. Of course, he's going to work hard, no matter what kind of an event it is. And the not caring thing is just that he's not just he's just not putting pressure on himself the way he used to. I mean, he's not before he was. You know, he's been number two in the world and talking about being the only one to to defeat Sauron and all of these things. And it puts a lot of pressure on yourself, especially when you're not scoring against Magnus. We had a terrible, terrible score against Magnus. But, in, mm. but you know, he has eventually become quite solid against Magnus. And you can see him the first year of the Magnus Tour was an unbelievably exciting and dramatic series of duels between the two of them. Okay, it's it's not classical, but still... It's hard to believe he'd have a chance in a match against Magnus, but it uh, it would be a tremendously uh, popular um, spectacle, I think, in terms of the public. Um, arguably the two biggest promoters of the game. And I don't know. He'd probably do better now than he would have done before because he doesn't have that pressure at all, really at all. And it's, mm -hmm. I think it's great. It's great to see him 
um, reporting every day. Honestly. Oh yeah, those recaps are fun. Yeah, yeah. and then of course yes. he had the key game yesterday against Nepo. That was really mm. a, a sliding doors moment. If he could have uh, won that game, and you know his disappointment was palpable. It wasn't. Yeah, you know, that, would been, that would have been huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but now a point and a half back. It seems like I mean again, ties ties model. Um, any any uh, statistical rating model is going to put Naka below five percent. But I feel like really? he does. Yeah, I mean, he does have an ele- better chance than that of sliding into second. Which, if it looks like it's there's Magnus is going to vacate the throne, Naka even sliding into play Nepo or Caruana, that would be pretty exciting. You just look at the way he qualified for this thing. I mean, he won how many games in a row in, at the uh, at the Grand Prix when he had to had to qualify in the second the his second event. I mean, it's just he's capable of. Amazing things. And yeah, I mean, holding that position against Ferruja, that was uh, that was like magic. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was incredible how fast and, yeah. he was playing at the end. Uh, he's so player. good at that kind of thing. He's he, he's amazingly hard to beat. Yeah. Um, and actually converting against Rajabov was also extremely impressive. That was just, I mean, at first sight, it might have looked like it should be just a technical win, but it was nightmarishly difficult, and he, he converted it quite smoothly. Now, I... I I think the big thing is, will Jan's wheels come off? That's the yeah. big question. Yeah. Shout out to Jakob Agard. He's always He's been more vocal on Twitter lately, and he's always <laughs> saying uh, uh, Jan's a momentum guy. You know, he's, he's, he's still not buying the Jan, the Jan hype train. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, he's already had his, his wobble. I mean, and not by wobble, I just don't mean he's getting into trouble. Everybody's going to get into trouble at, at some point in the event. But the way he got into trouble against Naka was just incredible. Unbelievable. I mean, he yeah. made two sort of yeah, self-inflicted wounds. I used a total of maybe what thirty seconds on them. I yeah, mean, like the time needed. He's practically had his hand out before Naka was finished moving. It was just, it's that kind of thing that this sudden suddenly his hand takes over for it, and it's great when you're in good form. That happens. <laughs> With with even uh, you know more more effect, but you do it all the time. It's it's going to catch up with you. I mean, Vichy was talking about this. Well, Magnus too. Days. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, but Vichy used to be unreal. Oh right, fun. yeah, similar. He yeah, said, similar you know, disposition. And he said, you know, sooner or later, you make enough bad, quick decisions that you realize you can't do that as the, your default setting. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if people know remember know how fast Vichy was because I mean that was quite a while ago. But I mean, I can remember turning up watching teenage Vichy playing in London, and watching some guy in horrific time pressure quite early in the first session, and wandering over and seeing that the guy was playing Vichy. But not only that, it was they were in the second session. That's how fast <laughs> Vichy was. <laughs> yeah, and just crushing people. It's just, yeah, just yeah, amazing. Yeah. 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 But yeah, Magnus had a few choice words about Nepo, that that position yeah. where he could have gone queen d7 or queen e4, and he just puts his queen in the line of fire. Magnus is <laughs> <laughs> uh, pretty ruthless in his criticism of uh, of Nepo's uh, pragmatism or lack thereof there. Um, all right, John, we got to take one more break. And then we, as I mentioned, lots of good Twitter questions to, to dive into. 
Perpetual Chess is brought to you in part by aimchess.com. My latest discovery on aimchess.com is in addition to its algorithm generating statistics and telling you trends from your opening games, there's a tab at the top where you can go to game history and review individual games and it tags recurring issues. So for example, it keeps telling me I had good openings, but it also tells me when I was behind on the clock, when I failed to convert an advantage. So you can then within the Aim Chess platform, review the game and look for uh, leaks that you need to plug, things to correct. So one of the many ways you can use aimchess.com to improve your game. So you can check it out for free. And if you choose to subscribe, use the code perpetual30 to save 30%. Or you can also use the link on aimchess.com that is provided in the show description. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. And we are back. And before we start haranguing you about your follow-up book, Jonathan, we got some more more candidates to talk to uh, to get into. Um, Number one, uh, shout out Grandmaster Dennis Boros on Twitter, who was asking how this compares to the candidates of the old days. Obviously, you've been writing about them for decades. So is there anything you particularly miss? Well, it probably ties in a lot with um, the other Twitter arguments I've been getting into (laughs) about increments and non-increments. I I think it's it's wonderful to to see the return of um, non-increment until final. I feel like session. most people are agreeing with you. Uh, Magnus, Jan Gustafsson, uh, Agard, all have said, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I was, yeah, no kid gloves. I think, I mean, the people, I mean, I understand both sides of the argument very, very well. I mean, I, I sympathize with both sides of the argument, but the. Actually, Jonathan, sorry, we should lay out what it is for anyone yeah, wondering. Okay. Um, so basically th- Obviously, with the advent of the digital clock in the past couple decades, the, previously there was no way to add time on each given move. And at some point, the conventional time control became to add time after every single move. So instead of like 40 moves in two and a half hours, uh, which were the, the first time control back in the uh, Kasparov days, um, it might be uh, 40 moves in two hours with a 30-second increment or something along those lines. Uh, and in this tournament, they do not have increments for the first two time controls. Um, the idea being... People can manage their own time, and uh, and it creates it adds an opportunity for more drama and more mistakes if you're not forced to have as uh, as Agard tweeted this sort of handcuff. So anyway, that's the context of what people are talking about when they debate the increment. And uh, sorry, you can uh, finish what you were saying, Jonathan. Yeah, well, I mean, the thing is, of course, in, in the old forty and two and a half days, you would adjourn, and the game would be at, you would analyze the game either yourself or with your seconds or such as the engines, the, the, the rise of engines has meant we've got to get the game finished in one session. And then gradually as engines have had more of a impact in the way people prepare and things, people have tried to make, um, to raise the human factor by speeding the game up. Whereas you can see very quickly that when you, when they play without, and now, you, okay. And so there's, and there's never any sort of horrible pieces getting knocked over, screaming hysterics, <laughs> because you have absolutely no time to make your last 10 moves as you did in the old days. You always now have this 30 seconds per move. But the problem is that people have ad- adapted 
to the point where 30 seconds is, is quite a lot of time for them now. And so in, it has perhaps civilized the, you know, the, the physical aspect of a time scramble, but it's, it's also com, um, made it much harder for people to blunder. And of course, blunders aren't necessarily <laughs> what we're aiming for, but... Um, but drama is. But drama least, is, yeah. And, yeah. It, it, and it was, it, 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 it's sort of an integral part. And, but also, I mean, if you give the person their, their whole two hours to begin with, whereas now quite often it's 90 minutes and 30 seconds increment over 20. So that's an extra 20. So it's 100. So it's, it's slightly less time now. You give them 40 in two hours, they have more time and they get to use it as they will. And it actually makes a big difference. If your huge complex decisions come relatively early in the game, you're actually uh, you have this 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 problem. Do I how much of my time do I invest now? Because the most important things are the most important decisions are now. So you can actually make more informed, better, dis- higher quality decisions if you ration your time properly. Um, if you get it wrong, of course, and you have terrifying race to the end but it's all it's not it's not the biggest skill i think for for people to adapt to uh, managing their own time you know allowing how much time you're going to think at critical moments with how much if i'm going to burn it early am i going to try and use it as a weapon most people nowadays try to use the clock as a weapon try and gain an edge and then make people um make mistakes because they come under more bigger time pressure than they are um but, um, I mean, to my mind, every time the game speeded up in the old days, people were thinking, oh, my God, this is just going to lead to chaos because people can't think properly. And, of course, the game is much, much faster now, and people are still producing good games. So I think in terms of time management, I mean, to me, the biggest danger of non-increment time controls like this is is not that it you might risk huge blunders, but you, which I think is, you know, that means you've, you're not mastering one of your core skills. The, the, I think the big danger is that they will completely adapt to this so quickly that <laughs> we'll be back where we were. Yeah. But well, um, I, it's, I think it's, it, it's, um, it's, it's just it gives us a few more interesting aspects. To, yeah. To I mean, to, to my mind, the games have been fascinating so far, but there has been a high level, uh, a high percentage of draws. I think some of that is just luck. There have been a lot of sort of two-sided struggles that have ended in oh, draws. Yeah. But anyway, I mean, anything that sort of encourages uh, decisive results in an event like this um, and it, it retains the veneer of classical chess, I am uh, in yeah. favor of. Well, yeah, that's the thing is, I mean, in terms of... <laughs> we, we've been in a cycle of... Or not even a cycle. We've been in a... In a in, um, increasing speed, less time to think uh, arc as a solution to this. And if you take out the increment, you're actually giving them more time to produce quality chess. But if they don't use that time wisely, then we get real fun in games when they're trying to make the, to make the time control. I think it's, uh, for a while at least, it has uh, the possibility of being the best of both worlds and bringing back a great aspect of the uh, the old classical chess days to modern chess. And then yeah. if you start getting scandals where people are so nervous they're knocking everything over, maybe you can add a 
you know, like they do with, um, in other events, you just can uh, give them two seconds for a non-knocking the piece over increment kind of thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. Something you know, like some that. Some sort of compromise solution where you get, you know. Yeah. The bare minimum. Uh, yeah. A protection against total chaos, but not detract from the actual real time pressure. I think yeah. that would be something is, you know, to consider, but I like mm. it. And I'm glad to hear that Magnus likes it. I know he found it slightly uncomfortable, but I think, you know, he appreciates it. Well, I mean, it produced Game Six of the World Championship, one of the most heightened drama <laughs> moments in uh, recent history. Yeah, that's, yeah that's why I was having a chat with somebody on Twitter about this. I mean, look, at, I was wondering if people who who find it slightly disturbing that a game can be lost because of time pressure. I mean, they can still do it. For me, I don't understand how people can play on thirty second increments all the time. But um, I've watched a lot of World Championship matches, like. All of, you know, almost all of the Kasparov Karpov games, and this kind of thing would happen all the time. It was a part of, um, it was a part of the you know the, the dramatic development of, of of almost every game that you would get this incredibly dramatic crescendo in the final half hour or something. And um, it's been such a long time since we've seen that. I couldn't remember. Um, as an exciting a series of um, time controls as in game six since maybe the end of one of the very early Karyakin um, Carlson games where Magnus mm -hmm. was pressing for a win with very little material and ins insanely little time for both of them. Yeah. All right. Well, Jonathan, since this will, a lot of people won't have too many days to listen to this while it's still timely. Let's get to a few more questions and then we should probably wrap things up and uh, have a longer conversation uh, in the future. So this question is from a friend of the podcast, Christopher Shabri, who asks, why does Nepo seem to do so well against 2750 opponents, but so poorly against 2850 opponents? He says, half joke, half serious question. Um. Well, I think it's just the uh, it's just the strain of playing Magnus, you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, down in the, that and the this, I guess, sort of heroic flaw he has with an ability to uh, suppress his impulsiveness or his his confidence at certain points in the games. Um. And of course, I mean, I know Chris. Chris is, is is kind of joking, more than maybe half joking. But I mean, yeah. it's it's not necessarily. I mean, it could well happen here. You don't. It doesn't have to be Magnus. I think it's just um, just a fascinating aspect of his 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 character and his personality. And um, it's just like with your um, the wisdom of hindsight. Should he have played? against Magnus, like Tal would have played against Magnus, yeah? Just be true to himself, play fast, play sharp, play, you know? Yeah. You know, this this is considered madness now at the title level. And when you get to the title match, then you have to, you've got to have your technique down, your defense, you, you don't lose with black, that's top of the list. Okay, and, and then Magnus, he just wears everybody down. Maybe you should just say, I'm going to be who I am and I mean, it's easy That's to say, a, say it because he didn't do it and he didn't, and it didn't work. But up until like halfway through game six, we didn't know 
at all what was going on. I mean, Magnus could easily have been behind in the match both before that and during that game or after that game. So um, it's very hard to say. It would be cool to see him try and just plead. Um, yeah, I mean, if we were going to get a rematch, which I agree with you, as you said earlier, it's the least likely rematch. If Nepo wins, it does seem like Magnus would not be particularly interested in defending. But that would be a fun a fun way for him to approach it is just like vintage Nepo instead of uh, play the Petrov in the Queen's Gambit to climb yeah, Nepo. <laughs> I'm sure that's what we, I mean, that's what we all want to see. And I, you know, I wonder if deep down that's what he wants to do. Yeah. Um, okay, another question from Brian Karen of the uh, uh, Chessbook Collectors Facebook group. Uh, Brian asks, does GM Tistel agree that the high levels of computer preparation that map games to, quote, safe positions have made the match format for World Championships outdated? Is there anything he would suggest be done, or does he not consider it a problem? So kind of related to what we were just discussing. Well, it's certainly a problem. I don't think anybody denies it's a problem. Um, I think Magnus thinks it's a huge problem, obviously, and he's very close to being 100% we should be doing some other format. Yeah. Um, I still have, I, I wouldn't panic just yet. I mean, we still, you know, I don't see any reason why we should scrap the classical discipline. I mean, engines are getting so strong that we're almost not being able to understand what they're talking about now. I'm kind of looking forward to when they're so strong that, their assessments mean nothing to us, absolutely nothing to mm-hmm. us. But of course, yeah. that won't stop people from being able to use them and and prepare and all that. But then, if you look at rapport, and as I was, you know, Anish was joking with me today slightly that you know he's playing the best computer moves. Right. <laughs> rapport, almost every round seems capable of steering the game into places nobody has been before. So I think there's still some hope that we'll get guys with the right temperament. And uh, and perhaps you know eventually even more cyborg types who who manage to to, to humanize the computer wisdom in some way that we can uh, we can get um, classical matches being played at uh, levels of bafflement that sort of bring back the decisive uh, games and the, the the level of drama that we saw before. So I wouldn't give up yet. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we will see. Everything's unfolding so quickly with how much stronger these computers are getting. Um, but um, we will see. Um, so we had one more Twitter question that I definitely want to get to. And this one is from finally in FM who, who says, ask you about your quote beyond normal experiences that you said are better suitable for pub talk, but he said the podcast <laughs> is not far away. Right. And I believe he was referring to you on June 15th. You, you tweeted, I guess I won't be writing about the candidates might be a good thing as the few strong opinions I have aren't really printable. So as he said, this is not print. (laughs) I can tell you what he's talking about. I had a tweet that nobody responded to asking if they, if anybody had any sort of telepathic experiences while playing chess, it was something like that. And I don't remember why I brought it up. Um, Ah, uh, that's what it he must have been. Yeah, some normal. game where something must have been some game or some incident where oh, I, maybe it was it was about double blindness. It was in relation okay. to double blindness. I can't remember what. Oh, it was when Anand resigned against Mamiyadarov at Norway Chess, and Mamiyadarov came back and asked him why he resigned. So you have a situation where um, 
Anand has just made it a horrific blunder, losing, yeah, losing everything he owns, basically. And once he notices, he gives up. Mami Adar was actually expecting the move that Anand had played and didn't see anything wrong with it. Right. And even stranger, okay, the fact that Mami Adar was a tremendous tactician, didn't notice and was expecting the blunder is one thing. But also, as several people pointed out afterwards, Mamidar was actually threatening to make the winning move before, and neither of them noticed that either. So you have this weird situation in cases of double blindness. where It's very hard to understand why something that's incredibly obvious suddenly doesn't appear on their radar at all, yeah? yeah. Even when one guy sees it, the, like the, the hypnotic effect of whatever was going on there, that still doesn't wear off for one of them. And it's a really weird state of affairs. And over the, in chess history, we've had some great double blindness moments. I mean, of course, Anand and Magnus had one in their world in their second match, which was, well, it was quite subtle. I mean, it wasn't like this thing against Mami Darov. Yeah, which was, I was, I was curious about this, this whole thing about blindness and, Obviously, something odd is going on when two players of that level don't notice something that obvious. Yeah. And, seem like, and one of them is completely oblivious to it, to, you know. Um, and but so it I wasn't like hanging a piece, you know. I mean, you, it's one of those moves where if you look at it, you, like for, for listeners who didn't see the position, um, it was probably like a 2,000-level tactic. But it was one of those things where if you look at the move at their level, you'll instantly see it works. But you are giving up your queen. So it's, it is possible to have the blindness where you just don't look at the queen sacrifice. So to me, it was more understandable than some blunder where you just hang a piece or something, you know, like Fabi recently put a piece where it could be captured um, I, I, I in, in a tournament game. Like that's a whole nother level. But yeah, the fact that it was double blindness does uh, add some intrigue. Yeah. But, it, but also, I mean, but it wasn't like very deep either. It was like a one yeah, two moves or something. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. And of course, over time, you know, if you go back over history, you'll see people like two top players missing, this, you know, missing mate and this kind of thing, um, just like oblivious to this. And there is some sort of interesting thing going on mentally here, where you don't ex the the expectation that something like that is going to happen against a person of that level is so strong that that uh, I'm not going to make a mistake like this. He's not going to make a mistake. They just don't see it, kind of thing. Um, yeah, and so of yeah, course, yeah, there's a lot of discussion. Should should Vichy have resigned, or should he have just sat there and? You know, I mean, he definitely shouldn't have resigned, as uh, with the benefit of hindsight. <laughs> um, I mean, the fact that he it took a minute or two like that already should be a clue that you shouldn't resign. But he just couldn't take the tension. Um, yeah, uh, but so, anyway, so I was asked. So I, I made this tweet about if anybody had noticed had some sort of an experience like. And I think I might have used the word telepathic, but something where some odd, some mental you know, anomaly had, had occurred. And I suppose I phrased it in such an X-Files kind of way that nobody wanted to take it seriously or, oh, okay. or enter into the discussion. And I think that, that's what his question was referring to. And I could okay. go into a couple of, I mean, I, I just had some very odd experiences, not very often, once or twice um, in my, like I remember having a postmortem with John Vanderville where the absolute <sighs> we would it was like our 
our minds were melded during like 60, 70% of the game where we would start to, we started to analyze and we started to demonstrate variations and we both looked and it didn't matter how weird the variation was. We both looked at precisely the same things, all the same, very, you know, the same branches, the same. And I, it, it was obvious to us very quickly something odd was going on because we it started you know the first few variations and then we started to check and we just kept kept doing it and you know trying trying to verify if the other person had seen these odd you know our, the oddest of our thoughts and we were just in complete sync until I made a blunder eventually <laughs> but it, it was it was a very very odd experience but the, the thing that really stuck with me is that at one point there was a key point when I was playing in the Hastings Challengers. And I was doing very well, but I mean, it's one of these tournaments where there's only one prize. You have to come first in order to qualify for the Grandmaster tournament. And I'd managed to have the off day, the really off day. I was playing some guy who was at, that I really sh- was supposed to beat. And I, my position was a ruin, an absolute ruin. And I can remember very <laughs> consciously at one point sitting in this position and thinking, does he have a move that loses? <laughs> And, and then finding one and then thinking, I'm going to think this move at him. And I, I sat there concentrating as hard as I could, thinking this move, ridiculous move at him. And he played it. And afterwards, he couldn't explain it. Huh. Do you give lessons? <laughs> obviously, yeah, obviously, if, if this is... Uh, you know, I, <laughs> if there's anything you know besides wild coincidence to this, you should obviously be trying to work on this skill. But I would assume yeah. it's only if it is um, woo woo that it's only going to occur when you're young enough to have that kind of energy and under that kind of extreme <laughs> desire and stress. But it it was it was weird. It was really weird. And these kind of things, I don't know. You know, you're both thinking at each other really hard. I, I have no idea. But it's just. Those are the two, the two things that, um, in that vein, that uh, left a, an impression on me, anyway, as being. Okay, well, fas- fascinating stuff and good fodder for a longer interview someday. But I've got two more things before we wrap up, Jonathan. Number one, I got to follow up. So what, your tweet, uh, the few strong opinions I have aren't really printable. Uh, are there any you can share here? Uh, this was in regard to the the upcoming candidates at the time on before. Yeah, no, no, but I really, I mean, I said that was actually that was quite a serious tweet. This is just this. I would just say there might be somebody that I don't really feel comfortable writing about, and mm-hmm. that's all. And I, I, I really don't want to say more than that. Okay, uh, we'll leave we'll leave that there. And then, last but not least, we had two people. I'm I'm always wondering when your new book. I know you've you've mentioned in in other interviews you're working on another book. And Christopher Sabri weighed in, and uh, someone else. We we all want to know when is the sequel to the classic book "Improve Your Chest Now" going to see the light of day, if if ever. <laughs> yeah, now, like it's now been over a decade of excuses and explanations. Um, just a, a few, well, the few things I always like to say is that it's it's not a sequel, it's a prequel. Um, I, as many people have observed, and I have always agreed, I, I find the title of the, the book slightly, I mean, it's, it's, it's catchy and it's commercial, but it doesn't reflect on the difficulty level of the book. And I've always sort of regretted that it was 
it feels like it should be more accessible than it is. It's a very difficult book. Um, so I wanted to do sort of a prequel where I do a combination of two things. Um, sort of revisit the key points in that and try to make them uh, provide material so that they're slightly more, that they're a bit more accessible, that, so that uh, they're explained in greater depth, more examples, this and that. Um, I'm writing it with a co-author. This further um, complicates matters because we're both um, really good at procrastinating, procrastination, and getting over-involved and trying to tweak things and giving each other ideas so that we don't settle. I mean, the first book took ages, and the first book only went to print because Murray Chandler, who was my editor at the time, said, "Okay, I'm putting it in the catalog. You have." <laughs> you know, X weeks to actually deliver it. And so, I mean, I see it was more or less, you know, it was actually written, but I just sit there tweaking and tweaking and tweaking. So right. hopefully it will come soon. We've had COVID okay. of course in the way now to make it further delayed and um, house moving and this and that. Um, I have some very strong opinions about how to finish it. A lot of it is written and a vast oh, amount, enough for two or three books of material actually exists. Um, and I think the most encouraging sign for actual completion is that I've had a chance to road test a lot more of the material now. It means okay. that some of the stuff I thought was finished might have to be rewritten, but I've, thanks to COVID, if you can say that, um, I, I had a couple of years of remote teaching of various um, levels and countries and so I've had a chance to 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 to, um, to get a much wider feel for what works and what needs to be tweaked a bit. Hopefully Excellent. soon. Okay. <laughs> well, we we all need something to look forward to in life. So uh, we'll keep our fingers crossed. Are you able to um, to reveal who the co-author is, or is that still uh, under wraps? I can tell you who the co-author is, and you should definitely look him up. Um, his name's Nick Duty. He's a stand-up comedian. Ah, right. <laughs> So hopefully he'll be a um, lend a, an engaging aspect to the book. He's he's a very talented uh, amateur. In fact, I mean that's one of the other problems is that when I was just thinking this book must be brought down um, to make it more accessible than the first one was, and I thought having an actual live student voice and Nick's, he's incredibly well read and incredibly uh, enthusiastic and he responded fantastically well when he actually started this. I mean, his, I think his rating went up 400 points or something. Wow. Started. But, but he's, the, but the problem is that he's, a, he, he, he is quite a strong player. And so again, I had to, we had to, I had to progressively some sort of ramp up stuff as we were going through it. So we've gone away from the slightly, you know, wider audience. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, we haven't gone completely away, obviously, because uh, we, I have a student voice and uh, and I have tested it on a wide, wide range of students now. But um, slight complication that uh, that he's stronger than perhaps he should have been. Hmm. <laughs> but he's great, oh. he's a great comedian. I strongly uh, urge you to find his stuff online. Okay, we'll check that out. Yeah, and hopefully look forward to the book. And late breaking question from Twitter, which I normally would would ignore, but I realize we haven't mentioned much about Ding. So 
Tom Tom Uleg just uh, just oh, yeah. chimed in and said, "Why is my boy Ding not winning the candidates? We should probably address that before <laughs> we say our goodbyes." Yeah, it's a really good question. Yeah, I mean, because you could say that he has been even less active than a lot of other people, but I don't know. Nobody's been terribly active in the, during the COVID years. I slightly wonder if he's developing the kind of I don't I don't want to hurt anybody, but a, sort of an, an Aronian type of complex where they the occasion might get to them a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it, it really is odd because he's such a strong player. Yeah, but he's clearly Ronian, of course. I mean, they're the kind of guys you think that they don't need much to go right to actually win the thing. But uh, it hasn't clicked yet. Yeah, and he's just not approaching his normal level. I mean, you know, I'm just a lowly 2100, but I can see the lack of crispness and in like whole sequences of moves. Mm. I know he he came under some criticism, um, you know, for. Like he only arrived a couple of days before, you know, like yes, suddenly the Chinese team isn't appearing in the Olympiad. It just seems that there's this sort of like lack of uh, appreciation of the moment, um, which, you know, we, we would have been laughable to suggest if he'd been firing on all cylinders as, you know, could have happened. But but now that he isn't, these questions will be raised. Um, you yeah, mean the but, lack of support from his federation? Yeah. I mean, it yeah. seems to be a combination of factors. but. Um, but yeah, no, as Jan Gustafsson has been talking about on the Chess 24 broadcast, uh, everyone is there with the team except for him. Like, it's a long tournament, you know, um, to to be there on your own. It's, it's uh, that to me seems more challenging, even for some, an introvert, you know, <laughs> like, you, you yeah, yeah, he does. He, he does seem to be handicapped in some way. That's true. And mm-hmm. I think, I, I think that's, that's fair to say, um, you know, without wanting to make excuses for him. Um yeah. And he, I mean, he had a, I don't know. I mean, it's quite possible that his road to qualification was quite disturbing as well. Suddenly finding out that, you know, you've been the world number two and a half for so long and you're not going to be able to get in at all because of a variety of circumstances. And then having to play like a zillion games in a row in China to to get your activity. And uh, I don't know. It's everything. There's nothing has been ideal about his, his um his, his preparation for for the event i mean yeah and i will give a, a parting shout out to christoph selecki chess explained he was vocal on twitter before the tournament that he didn't think uh circumstances were right for ding and he was not predicting a strong performance i obviously i'll take the l i i thought ding was rightfully the favorite it's um i'm basically prepared to write him off unfortunately it just doesn't doesn't seem like it's in the cards it's interesting. I'm curious to know what kind of intel he had on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I might. I'm, I'm, hopefully, I'll get a chance to ask him soon. Um, so, um, so listeners, um, we're going to say our goodbyes to Jonathan. A couple uh, programming notes: we're still releasing the regular interviews on Tuesdays. Um, we'll uh, we'll have another candidates bonus pod next Friday after round twelve, or next Thursday night slash Friday after round twelve. Um, and then we'll we'll take things for there. So hope hope you all are enjoying the games. Um, obviously, things could still change, but yeah, it's uh, primarily a two horse race at this point. 
uh, pending pending revision if uh, if someone stumbles or someone ascends. But Jonathan, it's been a pleasure to get your insights. Uh, as we said, long overdue, but I really appreciate it. Uh, everyone, uh, those of you listening, even those of you who aren't regularly on Twitter, as I've said before, during big chess events, especially like the candidates in the World Championship, you know, it can uh, it can be fun to pop in and follow the Jonathan Tisdals and Target Svensons and Olympia Urkans and Douglas Griffins and just keep up with a few people and it makes the the experience more enjoyable. So thank you, Jonathan. No, thanks. It was good to uh, good to finally make it, as I say. Yes, definitely. <laughs> and we'll look forward to uh, more drama and more history to be written. Thanks to everyone who helps make Perpetual Chess possible. Big shout out to my producer, Matthew Passy. I'd also like to thank the Blue Wire Podcast Network, with whom we are proud to be affiliated. Be sure to follow us on social media, Beneficial1 on Twitter, at Perpetual Chess on Instagram, and or you can join the Perpetual Chess Facebook group. You can email me, ben at perpetualchesspod.com. And of course, last but not least, I'd like to give major thanks to the Perpetual Chess Patreon and PayPal supporters. Those who choose to join that community based on their level of support can do things like submit questions for guests of the show, have access to live Zoom Q&A lectures with grandmasters who often have appeared on the show, going over chess games, answering questions, stuff like that. And you can even get access to ad-free perpetual chess if that's your preference. So, But most of all, thanks to everyone for listening, and we will catch you all on the next episode. Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.